Welcome to Concerning Therapists, Mental Health Through the Looking Glass, a podcast largely concerned with psychotherapists from which a listener may discover much of their character, journey, and a little of their history. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the speaker and do not reflect those of any employer, affiliation, group, or other individual. Additionally, this podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need psychotherapy, please seek treatment from a trained professional. So today with us, we have Amy Everson. Amy is a LMFT and also uh, has a specialty in divorce mediation, which is really interesting. And we'll have to talk to her another time about that. But today, uh, she's with us to talk about the Enneagram. Um, and I know that I first came in contact with this in my, or even before my first class, uh, with a professor who, uh, online had us take it even before we turned up to the first class. Uh, and so I'm interested in seeing if that, like what that's like, more at depth of that. Uh, and we're just going to talk about what it's like. If you haven't heard of it, you'll get a little bit of information. And if you have, maybe a better idea of how to use it or when to know when to give Amy a call. So I don't know about you, Erica, what's your experience with the Enneagram? Mine is very similar to yours. I started with uh, taking it for a class to have that prepared for papers and conversation with the school year starting. And then uh, have since found that it has become much more popular and have had lots of friends and clients try to talk to me about it. But I feel somewhat woefully ignorant, even though I studied a little bit of it when I was in school. So we're so excited to have you with us, Amy, so you can kind of add some clarity and information for us and the listeners. Great. I only came across this last week, but it is coming a little bit back in vogue, right? Because I I saw it was definitely, I was going to say a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it was definitely tongue-in-cheek where they were saying uh, millennials... Uh, starter kit for therapists it includes the Enneagram. So it feels like this is coming back in vogue uh, a little bit more, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. There's been kind of a um, vibe in the Enneagram community. It used to be kind of like elderly religious white people who are involved in the Enneagram. Okay. So there's some talk about that, how it's shifted and it has become popular with millennials. And there are a few podcasts around with, you know, people in there. 20s and 30s talking about their take on it. So for us briefly, can you kind of describe what is the Enneagram or what it kind of what this concept is? Yeah, I think fundamentally the Enneagram is a map to personal growth. It's a really complex map, which it's kind of interesting to me that people are finding a way into it. Although there are many, many ways into it. So it's a the map includes nine points. So when you first see the Enneagram, you'll, or you take a test, you'll get results that identify, identify you as one of nine points. It's, um, as you look at it, it's an image on a circle with a triangle and inner lines that connect these points. One of the main objections people have about systems like this is that they don't like be, being put in a box. But the thing about the Enneagram is that it actually the purpose of it is more to release you from your box to help you identify what your uh, kind of go-to patterns are and give you support 
in terms of what balance might look like for you in the areas of life that are causing you trouble. So I guess the idea, one of the ways to talk about the Enneagram is that the um, personality, people know us partly through our set of strategies. You know, we have these ways that we meet the world and we get frustrated with our strategies because they probably work like 55 or 60% of the time. And then when we're in conflict with people, that's when our strategies aren't working. And the Enneagram is a map to show you how do you balance out your typical strategies and access sort of other, other tools. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I like that extra perspective because I'm not sure I had really picked up that depth of the development part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think definitely was, a map for development, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm not sure that came strongly through when I first experienced it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's interesting in doing the Enneagram test and finding like you have wings and you have these. I think my initial kind of knee-jerk reaction is that it felt really similar to the way people talk about astrology, Uh um, which is something that personally has been uh, something I don't identify with strongly. Uh, I've talked to lots of people about what my sign is and what those things are. And it, when I tell people my sign who are big into astrology and they know me, they're like, that doesn't fit. And I was like, which is why I don't buy into it. So it's interesting because it sounds like a similar purpose, at least socially, of explaining yourself or helping you find deeper understanding, but it sounds like the Enneagram has much more of a growth based model than just this is how I am. So I can feel comfortable that I find like I have a place. Absolutely. And a lot of people work with the Enneagram also psycho spiritually. Um, There are a lot of ways to work. You'll see um, stuff about the Enneagram for business there in the nine styles nine styles and then subdivided into 27, 50, like it's a really complex system. But because there are nine, there are lots of triadic groupings. So there are three types that are positive outlook types, for example. When you're talking about conflict management, there are three types that are assertive types when you're talking about how we meet the world. So it's really complex in that way, but can be applied really practically to relationships and business on kind of a more personality level. On a psycho-spiritual level, which is the way that I really love to work with it, the idea is that, yeah, our ego structures are made up of these patterns, which are strategies, completely reasonable strategies to help us get through life. And they arise out of sort of a deeper a desire that each... Enneagram style has a sort of a core, a fundamental value, which in the Enneagram world is called an essence quality. So each style has an essence, and we all have all the types in us, of course, but each style has an essence quality that, of course, as we go through life and we develop, we, we realize the world isn't perfectly reflecting to us our essence quality. And so the personality develops strategies to try to recreate that quality in the world. And the essence qualities, when you talk about them, are immediately just intuitive for people. Courage, joy, strength, peace, sacredness, 
love, value, authenticity, clarity, you know, on that level, nobody's going to say, Oh man, I can't get with that. Like no joy for me. Thank you very much. Right. So the idea is that, well, and you guys took the test and have thought about it a little bit and CJ as a nine, the fundamental desire of the soul of a nine is for peace. And so that style in the Enneagram is called the peacemaker. And then in the personality, and people will know you as that. I mean, do you get that reflection from people, CJ, that they find you kind of a grounded, peaceful presence? So just to let people know, not only did we complete it uh, back at the beginning, but just in the last week, Eric and I both retook the test. Uh, and I, I don't know Erica's results yet, but mine came back exactly the same as a peacemaker. I, I'd say if people say that about me. I don't know that I always um, feel that about me. I would like it to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say that's probably not an uncommon sort mm-hmm. of thing that comes up. I feel like I, I mean, we haven't talked too much about our relationship, CJ, but mm-hmm. we've known each other for six years-ish. Something like that. And uh, you were a huge support for me while I was going through grad school. And I think that was a huge thing that I've turned to you for since then. You've done a lot to help me feel at peace about different things without fixing it. It's just the essence of that. And I don't know if that fits Amy with the peacemaker, but when I've turned to you, CJ, for assistance on something, it isn't to help me necessarily resolve something, but to help me feel at peace with whatever that situation looks like, which I think makes sense as a therapist too. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Is that, is, does that fit the definition, Amy? For sure. So You know, when you do a test and you see these sort of um, identifiers, they're a little bit minimizing, right? Peacemaker is okay, but um, Erica, you came up with the helper. You know, the helper feels a little bit like a minimizing sort of, you know, title for a personality type. But And you said you didn't identify so much with type two, but the essence quality of type two is love and people receive twos that they know as very sort of sweet, um, sweet, really sweet presence. So it is more of, at the deeper level, we're talking about essential energetic qualities. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's the psycho, the psycho spiritual part of it. And then the way that we work with the personality or, other, you know, you can say the ego structure, but in this model, we're not judging the ego structure. We're just looking at it as, as a way that we get through life and understanding where it uh, creates impediments for us, you know? So the theory behind the Enneagram is that our hearts always break a little bit whether when there's no joy or no integrity or no authenticity but for each style on the enneagram your heart especially breaks mm-hmm. when your essence quality isn't present and that's when the personality kind of scrambles to recreate it and because it's on the personality level it kind of can not necessarily be authentic because that's our only go-to set of strategies does that make sense yeah yeah uh, uh, yeah, that makes a whole lot of difference. It's more than just the personality. It's that interaction with the world around you and how that, I want to say manifests, but it's probably not the right word, um, brings out 
different parts of your personality. Um, and that probably is why different circumstances bring out different ones of the nine. So we can be all of them. And yet, which ones are most likely to be present? Does, is that correct? Yeah, I, we all have parts of, of all of these. I think that's one reason the Enneagram is so lovely because it is a very universal system. So, you know, as I go through those essence qualities, most most people would say, yeah, I want that. Yeah, I want that. And then there's one where each of us, of us is kind of like, oh, and especially I want that. So that's kind of an indicator of how, what my personality is constellated around the desire to have that particular essence quality expressed in the world. Right. This is such a wonderful explanation, Amy. I think, you know, reading through this test that I took, I did feel like it fit me a lot better than I did the initial time. But you saying that love is the root of the helper. I mean, if you asked any of my close people, that's like my thing. Like I, I am a love person. It's been such a driving force, whether it's in friendships or whether it's romantically in my life that, you know, I've quick, I'm a quick forgiver. I've been hurt many times because I unconditionally love those around me. And, um, just that feels so uh, fitting that that is what underlies that. I think my parents would be sitting here vigorously nodding their heads if they were <laughs> listening in because that's been me. <laughs> CJ is because that's a big thing. And I think it's interesting um, just looking at, at these. I think it'll be interesting to hear the rest of them because yeah. I, I think this balancing thing of it not being a personality test maybe makes it fit so much better in my soul because I, I, one of my other top ones is the challenger. And so like, I kind of imagine that the essence of that combined with lo- the love part for me really makes up much more of uh, kind of who I am and how I am. Cause I'm, I'm a little bit spicy and zesty and um, not argumentative by any means, but I almost always play devil's advocate and those kinds of pieces. So it'd be interesting to kind of hear the rest of these, but this is wonderful. Oh, I think it's awesome, Erica. I'm glad that you that you identified with that. And what's really interesting about your uh, eight being the second on your assessment is that two has a line to eight on the Enneagram diagram. And the it's that means it's a line to growth. So as you can imagine on the personality level, when someone's trying to recreate love maybe boundaries can kind of go out the window. Like that's one of the sort of uh, pitfalls of how the two expresses love in the world and can feel taken advantage of. Like I forgive really easily. I love unconditionally. And the eight is the challenger. That's a balance point, which includes being able to set boundaries. So those two things in combination, yes, that indicates a, a level of health, actually, right? So each style is connected to two lines. The other line for you, Erica, two connects to four as well. Another balance point for the two is four, which uh, the essence qualities have to do with authenticity and identity and depth. And one of the things that happens with twos on the Enneagram and the focus on love 
is that they're a positive outlook type, kind of equate positivity with love, and sometimes have difficulty being authentic in feelings that they determine to be negative. And so that line to authenticity is also balancing in coming into my true self and not having to, you know, sort of falsify my feelings in order to make everything feel sweet and ooey gooey. Yeah, that's interesting to think about uh, like that. Again, I'm, I'm just blown away and I might keep saying that, but that that's so nice to think about those as the growth areas. Cause I think that is something that I've struggled with is, is balancing kind of my needs and my experiences and those things in, in conjunction to what's best. Like I, I think it's coming out a lot during the pandemic that I'm really having to take a lot of time and energy to realize what is my experience, not what is the group experience, not as how can I take care of or help those around me, but what is my, you know, experience that I'm having? What are the things I'm struggling with? And to give credit and attention to those, even if they're small. Yeah. So I think that sounds like definitely something of growth. That's a really interesting thing to think about that, that those areas aren't necessarily, um, like saying you are that, but that's what you strive to get the full picture. It sounds like is to have those balancing parts to the helper, exactly. to the love. Yeah. It's kind of a shorthand to the, the places that you can work to, to help yourself be more balanced. It's interesting. The two and the nine kind of overlap. Well, they're both positive outlook types and it makes sense that the peacemaker wants things to feel okay. Right. And kind of share the characteristic and for different motives, but share the characteristic of um, diminishing their own needs in favor of another's. So choose for the motivation. It's very similar, right? But choose for the motivation of love and nines for the motivation of peace. Mm. And and essentially everything comes back to love, honestly, but it just, it kind of drills down into what we're striving for. Uh, yeah. And how we get there a little bit, yeah. right? If I feel things are at peace, I probably uh, open more to love than if I feel like it's conflict feeling that love. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe everything is a way into love. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. So what I find interesting with that though Whereas Erica com- comes up high on the challenger, as the peacemaker, the challenger is actually the lowest on mine. Uh, is that a natural sort of thing to see that they do have um, sort of different sides of the coin, the same way that you have the overlap and the different developmental steps? So I noticed that about your your assessment, CJ, and what it made me think was so the Enneagram lives on this diagram, you know, as a circle. And the nine has eight on one side and one on the other. And that's where this concept of wings comes in. Like nobody sits exactly on point nine or point eight. But for you, if eight is last, probably your the style with which you meet the world is more nine with a one wing than nine with an eight wing, It is what I would guess. Hmm. And so it just tells you a little bit more about the complexity of your personality. Mm-hmm. And the, the one, the essence quality of the one is uh, kind of a sacredness. Like ones have, you, people who 
know the ones in their life to have a lot of integrity. There's sort of um, upstanding, you know, that person's going to do the right thing. I don't know if that resonates at all with you or... I mean, we're all our own worst judge sometimes, so I, I don't know how I can answer that. But it does resonate more than the other way. Um, you won't admit his fabulousness. <laughs> does that prove your point? Is that what you're telling no, me? I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of the things I love about the Enneagram is that it can be so strengths-based. And I think as yeah. therapists, we often, I, most of us are going to say, yeah, I'm strengths-based. And the Enneagram, sure, we can go in from the ways our personalities mess us up. And that's for sure. We can all grab the stuff that's horrible about us and put that front and center. But from a therapeutic perspective, to allow people to really deeply sense their essence qualities is so healing. Like, whoa, that's me? And what can I do in my growth to express that more effectively in the world? Yeah. So do clients turn up asking for this or is this something you bring into the room? Both. Um, Clients do sometimes come in and ask and I'm really excited when they do. Uh I'm in my own work, I'm thinking of becoming a little bit more Enneagram specific so that if people are wanting Enneagram work, they can look for that. I use it when clients don't know about it. I use it sometimes overtly and all the time covertly. I've done a ton of training on it. And so it helps me to understand the client's potential now, even if I'm not talking about it. So... I will also say, you know, a lot of people aren't interested in, you know, you guys to have your models, right? And you'll be like, oh, internal family systems or, oh, and people are like, yeah, whatever. You know, they might, they might get, become interested in it or not. I just like to let clients know I'm not pulling this stuff out of thin air. I am working based on a model that has been supportive. Hmm. And it sounds like, uh, even that nuanced difference between like the peacemaker, the peace versus the, the helper and the love part, mm-hmm. that may be helpful therapeutically to achieve somebody's goals. Like even just yeah. knowing that nuanced difference, I imagine somebody who's the, the peace portion would strive for the idea of acceptance of a problem. How can I be at peace with this problem that's occurring? And the, the love part of it to me, and maybe this fits with the way that I work in general is that idea of how can I love in spite of these problems or in spite of these things and to not let that influence that. And that sounds just like a little bit of a nuanced difference, but even in working with people, I have so many people that I could imagine that's a totally different way where you attain a general same feeling of being able to move on from something or move through something. But that's a very different perspective of can you love in spite versus can you come to peace with? Mm -hmm. Those sound like just very different things. And it sounds like from a therapist perspective, using that can really help guide your clients to the way that they can be the most kind of fulfilled and satisfied in their lives with their problems that they deal with. For sure. The Enneagram allows me to work with subtlety as you're describing. Yeah. Well, just for our listeners, would you be able to kind of list, we've talked love and peace, but would you be able to kind of list that, the essence words behind each of the nine types? 
Yeah, we often, um, so one of the things to understand about the Enneagram that's really foundational is one of the main triadic groupings is related to centers of intelligence. So the understanding is that, and this is really intuitive for people too, we have a brain in the head, we have a brain in the heart, we have a brain in the body, and all of us have all three And some of the types lead with the brain and the body. Some of the types lead with the brain and the heart. Some of the types lead with the brain and the head. And part of the balance is also to bring the other ones online in different ways. When we talk about the Enneagram, a lot of times we start with the body types. And eight is the first body type. So it's kind of strange. You'd think we'd start with one because one is one. But sort of this psychotherapeutic idea that presence begins in the body. You know, a lot of trauma work has to do with being in the here and now in our senses. What am I hearing? And so the theory is that the foundation is the body. And if we have a grounded belly center, then we can have a healthy heart center and a healthy head center. So we start with the eight, the first body type. And Eights are an assertive type and their essence quality is strength. And so you will know the eights in your life by being very uh, direct, no nonsense. Truth is really a high value. And then how the dilemma that that presents is uh, in the, then sometimes maybe an overreaching for truth or justice. And there can be kind of a, um, push, pushing forcefulness, pushing through life in a forceful way. And that's where the essence quality of strength can disrupt relationships when the forcefulness comes forward. So there's kind of that package with every type. And then with the nine, yeah, we talked about it a little bit. Um, but this deep desire and understanding of peace and how that can disrupt disrupt relationships is that sometimes it's not possible to have peace, especially in a on a committee. So if there isn't a possibility of peace, sometimes nines will withdraw and look like they're abdicating a little bit as a facsimile of peace. Does that make sense? So there's the essence quality and then what the personality strives for to recreate it when we're not in full contact with presence or essence quality. And then the one, the essence of the one is a lot of sacredness. Oh, as I mentioned before, we know the ones in our life to be people who are doing good, who are focused on goodness. And the way that that can disrupt relationships isn't over-focused on doing things the right way. Um, And not allowing for shades of gray in that. Um, The two we talked about a little bit, the essence quality of love. And then in the fear, the personality's fear of the loss of love, which is true of any of the essence qualities, sometimes choose um, work hard to create love because of the fear that it's not there. So your two friends are going to be people who are bringing, you know, both brownies and a casserole to the bake sale, like lots of, a lot of action 
in order to create love. And when we're not in, when we're in presence, we're connected with the love. So it's another way to talk about how the personality kind of gets this stuff a little, uh, a, a little over, we over focus in the personality and then there's not room for anything else. Um, the three on the Enneagram, the essence quality is value. It was interesting. I mentioned that on the Enneagram, there's a triangle and then there are inner lines. The triangle types, the nine, the three, and the six represent sort of archetypal journeys. So they're every, everybody's journey in a way. And the, um, interestingly, there, the nine is peace. The, the three is, um, personal, personal value, sort of self-worth stuff. And the six is faith. So there's a little combination there of what we are able to, what we know we're able to create in the community. If our personal value is, if we deeply understand our personal value and three is the place of value and threes um, can come across as really shiny. I mean, the threes in my life, I'm always impressed how even after a long day at a conference, the shirt still looks ironed. I mean, it's kind of the value kind of it's palpable. And then of course the dilemma for that type is as all of us do trying to create value through cultural ways that value is conferred, like with a nice car or a house in the nicest neighborhood or it depends on the cultural context, right? In a religious community, you know, a three could create value by rising to the top of the volunteer committee in the church, right? But creating value by what's honored in my culture. So it's kind of the archetypal journey of self-esteem. Then four on the Enneagram, we talked about that a little bit as two has aligned to four down there in the bottom, um, the four and five kind of the nine CJ is the crown of the Enneagram. And that's understood like where the light of heaven comes in and the CJ is kind of like, no, 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 that's not me. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the bottom of the Enneagram, there's not a line between four and five and that's understood to be the void. So the four and the five, like a lot of depth, there can be a lot of cynicism, a lot of darkness, not positive outlook types, like much more cynical. But in that depth, the four really is here to represent issues of authenticity, identity, who am I as a human being, depth, let's get real emotionally. The personality tries to recreate that uniqueness by taste sometimes. So so four, your four friends are the ones with the most beautifully exotic put together outfits and their living situations might be very wow especially unique and creating beauty in the world and then sort of the efforting and the uniqueness rather than allowing the authentic identity to be there so we're we're almost around so the two three and four you might have guessed eight nine and one are body types Two is love. So two's a heart type. Self-worth is in the heart at three. Three's a heart type. Four is a heart type with identity. Then the five, six, and seven are head types. 
We all have all of it, but just means the five, six, and seven lead with a head. So five comes next on the other side of the void. And I identify with type five on the Enneagram. And what the five is really striving for, um, what we crave and are here to bring is clarity. So as a therapist, I do a lot of psychoeducation. And people tell me that I have the ability to simplify complex ideas. So that's a very, I mean, you guys got the good ones. You guys got peace and love. Here I am over here clarifying things, but there's, there's a, there's a place for it, right? Yeah. Like a a distillation. Oh, and CJ, you were really interesting. You were really high on nine and five and four. I was. And all three are more introverted types. Um, Yeah. You're nodding. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as I said, there are lots of triadic groupings. So how this stuff lines up can kind of t- give you a, a tidier package of what the personality might strive for. Interesting. Um, what, where fives get into trouble is we just long for this. We long to understand, but understanding is infinite, right? The head is a really infinite space. And we can go crazy by getting... Uh, specific on um, knowledge areas that, that we want to have knowledge in. So the fives in your life are the people who are, I don't know, they, if they come to the party at all, they're <laughs> with you. If you, and you got lucky enough, enough to ask about their area of interest, as you are doing with me in the Enneagram, they will tell you everything about that one. <laughs> so that's where the personality goes awry in terms of the clarity sort of, substituting knowledge for understanding. Mm-hmm. So then six is another one of on the triangle, another one of the archetypal journeys. Six in its essence is faith and courage. And where the six personality ends up coming into trouble is trying to manufacture faith when it can't actually be manufactured. So sixes, sixes are one of the styles that have a lot of sort of different presentations. But one of the commonalities amongst sixes is that they're really good at finding solutions through understanding what things are not. So the medical field can be very six, like sort of different differential diagnosis. Like it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. And so there can feel like kind of a negating energy in the personality when it's not healthy, but it's trying to get to how I can have faith. It sounds like a little bit of a circuitous route, but that's... And then the last, which seven always gets short shrift and sevens hate that because they're the most buoyant uh, personalities on the Enneagram. The essence quality for sevens is joy. And you will know the sevens in your life because they are sunshiny. My, I have a 20 year old daughter and she's a seven on the Enneagram. And if she goes by my wishes, the song that will be played when she walks down the aisle to get married is here comes the sun. And she's just super shiny. So sevens bring joy to the world. And when the personality goes off the rails, they're trying to manufacture joy. And that can look like that's going to be the person who's the life of the party in their healthy state. And then in their unhealthy state, the life of all the parties, all like long with no sleep. So that was a quick trip around the Enneagram. (laughs) That's so interesting. Have any questions about that or 
any way I can make that clear. Uh, I'm sure it probably takes a lot of reading and training to kind of get even more depth of that. Cause it, even just from that, I feel like I'm starting to get an idea about how it could be very individualized a lot more than putting you in a simple category. Uh-huh. Right. So that, that makes a lot of sense. What training did you do to kind of get this? I did a lot of, uh, there are a couple of different kind of schools of thought with the Enneagram. And I did a lot of training with the Riso Hudson school. Um, Don Riso died some years ago, but uh, Don Riso and Russ Hudson have written a few books and I did a lot of training through the Enneagram Institute and they do training on all the different aspects of the personalities. Now, it sounds like one of those things kind of like grad school where part of the best way to practice is by starting to figure yourself out. Yes. So what was that journey like of kind of learning this and applying it to you? What did you notice that was different with that experience versus what you had viewed yourself before? It was actually, it's a lovely question because it's actually amazing. You know, and I, when we chatted a little bit, Erica, and you said, oh, this hasn't really, you know, the test hasn't really jived with me. Of course, the way into something is to take a test, but the Enneagram is one of those models where it really is a journey of growth. Like you kind of have to be drawn by it and understand a little bit about it to see if it jives with you. You know, the test probably isn't going to bring somebody into it on a heart level. So I kind of landed by accident in an Enneagram training at, I think, Omega Institute in New York, you know, one of those places you go for retreats and stuff. Um, It was after I had just come out of a divorce. I was kind of a wreck. I was just trying to like get away from my regular life. I landed in this Enneagram training with Russ Hudson and he described the types with such beauty. I was so moved at this approach where, and you know, the three of us know it, right? How many times a day do clients come into our offices and say, okay, this is what's wrong with me. Mm. And our internal response is, oh my dear, if you could only see what's right with you. Yeah. So that was really, and that was my journey and I'm still struggling with it. You know, like we all are. Yeah. It just sounds like a beautiful way in the way that you're explaining it of figuring out that exactly that strength space piece that you mentioned before is like figuring out not how does this person manage these problems, but how can I, with my strengths, navigate the world in a way that makes it feel okay. And it, I mean, it sounds like a beautiful way to give words to those kind of deeper things. Like when you said love to me, I was like lighting up. I was like, yes, like this is, this is me. Like if you could, you know, and it sounds a little conceited. I think it's something that I'm fearful of putting out into the world is this idea of that resonates with me. That's how I view me. That's how, if I look at my whole life, that's been the driving force of me. And so just saying that I was like, wow, I feel so understood. And I imagine that's a beautiful way to connect with your clients, to be able to say like, it seems like this is something that you really strive for. I bet that makes them feel so like heard and understood and kind of, and from that therapeutic perspective, really gets that join there and helps then kind of have that person be able to share those things with you. If that is something that fits, it sounds like a cool way to feel heard. I think it, it is a, it is supportive for that 
connection. And it's interesting what you bring up, Erica, because I think it also kind of illuminates this idea of why nobody ever feels mirrored by their parents. So if you look at it from an Enneagram perspective and each of us, our heart is geared to sort of a particular collection of traits. No human parent is perfect, but mostly human parents aren't going to be oriented towards the traits that are deeply valuable to their children. So the child may actually be a better ambassador of love or clarity or joy in the world than the parent is. And then there's something intrinsic there about the kid is like, no one's getting this. Is there something wrong with me? This must not even be here. No one's modeling it for me. And then being able to come into it. Oh, no, that's because I'm the bringer of this is very freeing and also yeah, gives a lot of perspective to what we all feel like we've lost in our families of origin and can be a really supportive model for parenting too. You know, when you know your kid's Enneagram type, super helpful. Yeah. I think it's interesting in just talking about some of this brings to mind these professions that may fit certain Enneagram types, not to say it's exclusive, You know, I think that's one of the struggles that happens with some of these other things is uh, I think extroverts get a bad rap in the therapy community. Uh, Mm. So as the uh, residential extrovert in almost all the places I've been, uh, I think it's interesting that it's not exclusive to it, but just that there's these ideas that these Enneagram types may fit really well in particular professions and that that's a connection. It also seems to me like some of these other tests that we do, like love languages Mm -hmm. or all these other pieces just seem, it it seems like they kind of fit within this instead of fit being like, you have to be one way or another. Sounds like all this feels very integrative with the world instead of like that boxes mentality. Yeah. I think in terms of what you're saying about Sure. Some, I think the three of us here, I think almost like lots and lots of therapists are twos and nines and fives, actually lots and lots, but it's not exclusive at all. And I think part of how psychotherapy lifts working with the Enneagram out of the boxes or how I work with clients on it is part of our job with clients is to figure out what turns them on and lights them up and helps them thrive, you know, interests professionally or personally or otherwise. So there's also an intersection there. I mean, there is always a uniqueness and in my own type five, right? Like fives love to drill down on a specific body of knowledge but there are a lot of different bodies of knowledge in the world, you know, Right. it just depends what's pulling the individual personality. It feels like a place you can go therapeutically as something to guide you. I think that's such a beautiful thing. I don't think it's, it's not necessarily a therapy model in itself, but it's this beautiful way, I think, to have that framework as if you can figure those things out. Similar, I, I do a lot of couples work. So yeah. similar for me, when I can pinpoint people's love languages or I have them take it, right. I can speak to them in a way that just makes so much more sense yeah. of, of that. And I think this is that same sort of basis. Obviously, you're not going to use the love languages as a therapy model because it isn't one. 
But it's something that I think that idea of being heard and, and guiding of understanding, I know people love to learn about the love languages because they're like, Oh, this is what's going on, right? Like my partner keeps doing this because they're trying to show me they love me. They're not trying to ignore me. They're just trying to show me they love me. Oh, that's, and so this sounds that same thing of like, especially even I imagine this in couples work. Is this something you, do you do any couples work, Amy? Would you use this? Sure. Yeah. People use it in couples work. You can use it in anything, honestly. But I think you're right. It's, you know, people see these systems as a box, but I mean, any Enneagrams, two, you know, there can be two with any of the love languages primary, you know, or two with any of the attachment styles primary. I mean, we're just really complex beings. (laughs) But that's one of the things that I, like that's really standing out to me here and thinking about couples as well. Cause I can see where I think it came more intuitively for me to think about it as an individual, but being able to do that as part of couples work and, and see the development part as well, not only why, but what do you need to work on? Cause I think a lot of the time in couples, people think it's about fixing the other person. A lot of the time we're putting effort into what do you need to do? Not only hold the other people accountable. And so having that developmental edge to it would hold them to that as well. I could see that being really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be really supportive. Yeah. It also Her- seems like I think about anxiety in parents and children and this idea of if you as a parent can use these strategies, identify your kids' mm-hmm. Enneagram styles and help them feel that safety and security in how to not have those negative parts or there's emissions say negative that's not the right word but um have those struggle parts heard i mean judged or whatever right yeah but to that to me prompts this idea of anxiety is the way you're describing some of these things i'm that person when i am nervous and i'm anxious and i feel very like oh my gosh i will bring 17 things to a potluck when i've been asked to bring one because i'm just i'm so that and i always kind of think of that's really funny is that this idea of proving that and I connect it. Um, gifts is my second top love language and uh-huh. acts of service is my top love yeah. language. Uh-huh. So it's this beautiful thing of like, I'm literally trying to show people that I love them all the time. Yes, exactly. And those are the things I turn to if I'm feeling insecure, if I'm feeling yeah. like unloved or rejected, that's where I oh go to oh, well, let me clean your house for you. Let me cook for you. Let me clean your car. Let me go do this. Let me go do that. And it it burns me so fast, especially now that I've kind of learned a little more. It's just that idea of when I'm in that state of that stress mode, that idea of striving for it too hard when it's not readily given. And I just imagine that is that's a good dynamic to understand as a parent, like your kid is acting out doing these different things. It just gives that perspective that I think is we as therapists seem to have it a little bit easier looking from the outside in, but that sounds like a beautiful thing for people to use. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even that example, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Erica, right? Like as a two, you're trying to create love in the world and you talk about anxiety from an Enneagram perspective, the anxiety would be that there isn't enough love here. Like that's like, okay, I'm anxious because there isn't enough love here. So I'm going to try to 
whip up some love. You can see, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, common advice. If you're feeling bad, volunteer. That is terrible advice for a two. Two should not be going to volunteer if they feel bad because they're already like spending all their time trying to serve the world and not attending to themselves. So understanding somebody's motivations behind, you know, their response to their anxiety yeah, can be really supportive. And I wonder just on this, this backside too, Amy, I think about what I do as well when I get the idea of feeling rejected and I, then I will withdraw. Yeah. Then I will do that piece of like, okay, well, I'm just going to do my own thing. So my pitfall is that I think particularly during this pandemic has been, I have, I give what I can to my clients. I give what I can to some of my friends. And then I put my head in my turtle shell and I do all these things focusing on me and it doesn't feel recharging because I'm not getting anything from other people. Um, but that withdrawal thing is almost the worst thing I can do, but it seems to be that like very last resort. Is that something that fits with that? Or does that fit with a different kind of Enneagram type? It fits. It fits exactly. So there's, as I said, there's a whole bunch of triadic groupings in the Enneagram and there's, um, people use object relations with the Enneagram too. And, um, triadic grouping with object relations is that there's, um, uh, attachment, three, three types are attachment types, three types are frustration types, and three types are rejection types. Kind of idea about that is that all of us go through this process of attachment, frustration, and rejection. Like even when you get a new shirt, you're like, this is the most awesome shirt that I've ever had. I'm going to wear this shirt every day for the next week. And then all of a sudden we're frustrated with it. You're like, you know, this sleeves are a little short. It's kind of driving me crazy. And then the rejection is it goes in the bin to goodwill. And the idea with a Enneagram model on that is, as humans, we all go through that process, but each triadic grouping is more sensitive to one of those places on that process. Sixes, nines, and threes tend to stay in the attachment, like making everything okay. Ones, fours, and sevens are frustration types. And I, I said, my daughter is a seven. If I, if I had a nickel for every time that child said she was frustrated with something. And then twos, fives, and eights are rejection types. And it's really interesting, you know, Erica. So that's what also really helpful with, for, with client work because we know these things about ourselves. I mean, clients come in and use this language that just gives you all the clues to where they sit on the map. So yes, rejection is up for both you and me in different ways. But there, you know, a third of us, a third of the world deals with rejection as, you know, you're describing. Sure. So the, the amount of depth that's in this, but also how even now I can see how I could use this more effectively. Where is the line between where you would encourage someone to start using this as a therapist? And when does it become something that you would say, look, let's refer them on, like, this is something that needs a little bit more depth. Is there a good line for that? Is it intuitive? Yeah, I'm thinking two things. You know, something that is discussed a lot in the Enneagram community is like any, you know, typing system, and I'm putting air quotes in that, it can be used for ill, right? We don't want to be, you know, and I think 
whatever knowledge anybody has about any system, the Enneagram included, as long as we're using it from a strengths-based perspective, I think it's going to be supportive. Mm-hmm. The Enneagram especially is kind of susceptible to be because you start getting into your traits and people can really being a lot of self-judgment as you, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing all my horribleness so clearly. And I think from that, in that way, if we really focus on being strengths-based, you're good to go. Even if you have, you know, not a huge depth of knowledge. Right. I think where I would refer someone out is if my client has more understanding of it than me. I mean, I know it's kind of a funny answer. But well, that's a good point. <laughs> You know, and sometimes people are really, I mean, there is a community of people who are really into the Enneagram and I do have clients come in sometimes that know a lot about it. And yeah, if you're not going to study it to that depth, I'd say, you know, maybe you need more of a mentorish kind of person. Right. Right. I wonder, it sounds like it could be something almost independent of traditional therapy in the sense of somebody who has that self-awareness of I really would like to grow. I'm not necessarily identifying any particular struggles in my life, but I would really like to grow. It sounds like going to like you or somebody who works with that Enneagram from the therapeutic level, it would kind of create its own treatment plan of growth. Just that idea of taking care of oneself or improving one's life. Do you ever do that kind of work as, as mostly just doing Enneagram versus the traditional like problems-based thing we usually get in therapy? Yeah, actually my client base is more, I don't work a lot myself with mental illness or just, I, I work a lot with clients who are interested in personal growth anyway. I was thinking before we spoke today, I I was reflecting on whether the Enneagram is a supportive model for mental illness. And I don't know. I'm sure there are people that work with it in that way. But I, one of the things I've heard about Enneagram work is I was mentioning to CJ earlier that there's also a framework of developmental levels for each type. So again, we're getting even more complex. So for each type, there are models of what the least healthy expressions of that is that and the most healthy expressions. And what we understand in the Enneagram world is that it's harder to understand type at the lowest levels of expression and the highest. So when people are super healthy, they're using all these strategies and you might not be as likely to understand their type. And when people are really unhealthy, kind of the same thing because the personalities become disorganized in a way. So yeah, I'm not going to say the Enneagram can be used to continue growth for sure to become healthier and healthier and healthier. I don't know about the lowest levels of development. I think mostly in the like vast middle I think we can, we could all use it for anything. It sounds almost like Maslow's hierarchy sort of a deal as if you're struggling, if you're at that place of really struggling, someone's really having major issues with anxiety or depression, this might not be accessible to them in that place. Right, right. And there might be little tidbits of things for the therapist that you kind of know that, oh, because I know that person's set of strategies, I have a little bit better sense of what direction is healthier for them or not. 
So kind of finessing it a little bit of not presenting it as here are these things and like this, but yet saying, oh, maybe this coping strategy would be helpful for you. Just knowing that that might be the way that they kind of work. Yeah. I mean, this is coming to my mind to say, I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's true, but I feel like I want to say the Enneagram is not an intervention. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's kind of how I feel. I, somebody else might feel differently, but that's kind of how I feel. Hmm. So one of the things is that people generally have handles. Uh, if there was one thing that you could give to someone to say, when they think of the Enneagram, what would you like to leave them with is the impression? What would that be? What I would really love people to understand about the Enneagram is that it's a tool for understanding your unique beauty. Perfect. So Amy, we've been doing a lot of this talking for people who maybe have more interest clinically. Are there any books or resources that you would suggest for clinicians interested in discovering more about the Enneagram? I don't know if there are books written for clinicians. Um, I think in my own experience, I have really liked the um, Riso Hudson stuff. The book, The Wisdom on the en- of the Enneagram is pretty much a classic. From a psycho-spiritual perspective, if you're interest- interested more in the you know spiritual aspects, the existential kind of stuff, Sandra Maitri has a couple of books, M-A-I-T-R-I. Uh, the spiritual dimensions of the Enneagram is one of them. And then there are a whole lot of resources for business or relationships or specific to those. So I'm assuming that fits with just the general person interested in more would be those resources as well. The wisdom of the Enneagram is really good general kind of place to start. And then is there a particular, I know we said the test is kind of an intro and it's not all inclusive and people may have my experience, which was the first time finding like it didn't fit. Although as we're exploring today, I was wrong. Um, (laughs) So was there a particular kind of test or site that you would recommend people do if they're interested in their own Enneagram? As I mentioned before, there are a few Enneagram schools. I did all my training through the Enneagram Institute, which is Riso Hudson. And I think the test that you took is called the Ready. It's R-H-E-T-I on the EnneagramInstitute.com website. You can find it. I think R-H stands for Riso Hudson, actually. But the Enneagram Institute also have these these really concise um, descriptions of type. They're not very long. You don't have to read a whole book. It's free to go in there. There are even, there's even, I think it's also free, but you might have to enter your email address to get to descriptions of couples pairings. That's kind of interesting too. So, you know, what might happen, what might be the strengths and the pitfalls between a a particular pairing and relationship is on that site too. It's kind of not too long, easy to read. Great. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And so if someone wanted to get in touch with you, Amy, or refer a client to you, what would be the best way to do that? I'm working at Westside Psychotherapy in Madison, and um, my email is my name, A. Everson, at westsidepsych.com. And we have bios of all our therapists on the webpage. And yeah, just get in touch through there. Or look me up on Facebook. That's cool, too. Great. Well, thanks for being with us today. We've really enjoyed this. It's been very enlightening. It's nice to talk to you. Thank you.